Good morning, church. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Courtney Martin. I am part of the Adams community group here at Redeemer Odessa. It is my privilege to be here. Um, I'm reading this morning from Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. I'll give you a second to get there. I'm nice. <laughs> Again, it's Mark 9, 42 through 50. I'm reading from the ESV. The word of the Lord says in verse 42, whoever comes causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled then with two hands go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Grantham. Hey, man, I uh, meant to tell you earlier, I had this dream last night that I wrote Lord of the Rings. I guess you could say I was talking in my sleep, but I, no, man, uh, seriously, glad you're here. Thank you uh, for flying all the way out to California. That's a good joke. Uh, look it up. He wrote the Lord of the Rings. Thank you, Trent. All right. Uh, proud of you. Excited for you. Just Love getting an opportunity to watch the Lord uh, use you. I'm just really excited to see what the future holds. I don't know if you know this, Grantham's getting married in like five and a half weeks, so that's, that's exciting. So give him some love. Tell him thank you for being here. Uh, he flew from California to spend his Sunday with us, so we are truly blessed. Hey, speaking of, happy Thanksgiving. Um, one of the more sadly ironic things about American society is that we set aside a day to give thanks for all the blessings that we have. And then before that day of giving thanks is even over, we'll line up around a target and we'll punch people in the face for deals on TVs and, and kids' toys. It's funny, sort of. Um, I think that Black Friday followed by Small Business Saturday followed by Cyber Monday and then followed by Giving Tuesday really reveal a lot of our priorities as a, as a society and as a culture. But it affects us deeply, man. My kids have been putting their Christmas list together since June. We have been conditioned as a society to be discontent. And I think... There are a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of things that contribute to this. 
And one of those things is like we're led and influenced by other people that have the things that we think we need or the stuff we want. And all of that just breeds discontentment in our hearts. And for Christians, this is dangerous. Because when you are not rooted in Christ, when you are pursuing worth, value, and dignity outside of God's design, it will lead you to sin. And when sin is left unchecked, when you continue to walk in ongoing, unrepentant sin, it will lead to your destruction. So consider that, are you allowing to influence you? What or who gets the majority of your free time or what gets the majority of your leisure time? And I'd also ask you to consider this. Who are you influencing? I'd like to call you to consider that because here is what I'm going to contend with you this morning. This isn't profound, okay? But I know most of us never think about these things in these terms. Your time your money, the way you utilize your resources, all of those things, they communicate what you ultimately value. If you're a Christian, or if you claim to be a Christian, or if you're just checking Jesus out and Christianity, if you're just checking it out, I want to lovingly tell you this. There is a heaven. There is also a hell. There is nothing in between. You aren't entitled to heaven. You are not entitled to salvation. That is a free gift of God for those whose faith is in Christ. We are all actually deserving of hell. And by the grace of God, there is redemption available to us. So I'd invite you to consider your life this morning. I'd invite you to consider eternity in light of our text this morning. So let's pray, and we're going to get to work. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the cross, Lord, that leads us to life and repentance. Lord, I pray that you would call us out of unbelief this morning. Lord, show us areas where we need to repent. Show us areas where we aren't trusting you fully. Lord, I pray that you would give grace to the humble. Lord, and that you would humble the proud. And in your kindness, lead us to faith and repentance and dependency on you. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Man, I guess a good lead into the sermon would have been like, Happy Thanksgiving. Today we're talking about hell and judgment. So, um, here we go. Uh, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 42. It says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Okay. Keeping in mind the context of our passages the last few weeks, Jesus has predicted to his disciples that the time was drawing near for him to be arrested and brutally murdered. And their response was not what you'd expect. I mean, think about it. Like, if you're sitting around your Thanksgiving table and one of your relatives says, Hey, fam, I'm about to get arrested and I'm going to die 
your response would most likely be like sadness and sorrow if this were in fact true. Instead, Jesus' disciples were having a discussion about which one of them was the greatest. So in this discussion, they're revealing that they don't yet understand who Jesus is. They're revealing that they still see him as just a miracle worker and not a spiritual redeemer. So Jesus confronts them yet again with their unbelief. He tells them that, yes, if you do in fact want to be the greatest, if you want to be great, then you must be the least. If you want to be the greatest, you must first be a servant of all, and you must be a servant first. So then Jesus then places a child in their midst with the disciples, and he says, whoever receives a child, whoever receives the least of these in the name of Jesus, receives Jesus, and also the one who sent Jesus, which is God himself. So then in today's text, Jesus says, if you who would claim to be believers in Christ, cause one of these little ones to sin, and now he's not referring to children anymore. He's meaning if you cause someone who is immature in the faith or weak in the faith or a new believer to sin or a new believer to stumble, it will bring serious judgment on you. Jesus is saying that if you lead one of those who are precious in his sight, if you lead one of those who are precious in the sight of the Lord to fall away from the Lord, physical death of the most gruesome variety would be preferable to the eternal judgment that awaits. In last week's text, Jesus is speaking about doing good to little ones. And in today's text, he is addressing just the opposite. If you cause one follower of Jesus to stumble, it would be better for you to be rubbed out mob style. Daniel Aiken says that he thinks Jesus is specifically addressing the Apostle John and the issue of pride that John brought up in the previous text. Last week, John tells Jesus, Hey, Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but he wasn't following us. He wasn't walking with us, so, so we told him to quit it. And Jesus says, Hey, don't. He's your ally. So Daniel Aiken says, God's wrath against pride is great because it does so much harm. If we do not rid ourselves of the sin that took both Satan and Adam down, we will be a stumbling block to others, and God will hold us accountable. So with that in view, look at what Jesus says next. Verse 43. It says, Jesus says, And if your hand causes you to sin... Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where there, worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Okay, so these are, these are marching orders from Jesus. These are marching orders from our commander. A saving faith is a fighting faith. And we must be fighting sin. We must be putting sin to death, or it will destroy us. It will devour us. And if you're like into like Christianese, Christian cliches, here's a good one. You must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. As Christians, 
as Christians, knowing what we have been saved from, in gratitude to Christ, in gratitude to Christ for the cross and the resurrection, for the salvation of our souls, and the freedom and redemption from sin, we are called to new life. We're called into the kingdom of God. That means we are free to live life differently than we did before we were given salvation. We need to live like we now belong to Jesus. We need to live like we care about Christ. And we need to live like holiness matters. Church, we need to live like the cross matters to us. So Jesus gives some hyperboles uh, to warn us just how dangerous sin is to us and others. Just as an aside, these are just hyperboles, meaning... Uh, A hyperbole is an exaggerated statement or a claim, and it's not meant to be taken literally. We know that these are hyperboles about self-mutilation because the Bible actually forbids it, and Jesus doesn't do or say anything that is contrary to the Word of God or contradictory to the Word of God. So Jesus wouldn't advocate for you to disobey the Word of God by cutting off your hand or your foot or plucking out your eye. They're just hyperboles. So even though these are just exaggerated statements, they're not meant to be taken literally, that does not lessen the importance or doesn't lessen the force of what Jesus is saying. One commentator says, Things we supremely value like hands and eyes and feet should not stand in the way of eternal life. When you consider your eyes, when you consider your hands, when you consider your feet, Jesus is using these in a symbolic way. Eyes and hands and feet are all inclusive of what we see, what we do, where we go. And Jesus is saying it would be better for you to not have them than to have them and they keep you in sin and keep you from entering the kingdom of God. Sam Storms in his book, the book is titled Be Killing Sin, says, Evil actions come from a heart that rejoices in sin rather than Christ. Very little, if any, sin comes out of your heart that does not first enter through your eyes. Our external members are but the instruments we employ to gratify the lust that emerges from within. What our Lord was advocating, therefore, was not a literal physical self-maiming, but a ruthless moral self-denial. Not mutilation, but mortification, or putting it to death, is the path to holiness that Jesus was teaching. So the lesson here is not cut off your hands, cut off your feet if you can't stop sinning with them. That honestly wouldn't help you for long because, for example, a person without eyes can still have a lustful imagination, right? Rather, here's the lesson. The lesson is that sin is a very destructive force. You must not play around with it. You must not pamper it. You must not wear it around like a badge of honor. You must put it to death. Temptation should be flung aside immediately And you must do that decisively. Right now, right at this very moment, without any delay, you need to get some accountability for that obscene website you're spending time on. You need to delete all the scandalous pictures you have on your phone. You need to run from the soul-destroying smut you're looking at. 
You need to cut ties with the intimate relationship that you're cultivating with the person who is not your spouse. You need to stop doing those destructive habits that aren't leading you towards holiness. You need to fight, man. And here's what else. All of your efforts to change, all of your efforts to stop sinning, will never, ever succeed apart from the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus Christ endured the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. But you need to submit your life to the transforming power of the Lord in your heart and in your life. And you also need accountability of other believers. Without the Lord, you will fail. Without the church, you will not thrive the way that you're intended to thrive. Man, consider your life for a moment. You, person, anybody in here. Who needs to know what you're up to on your phone? Who needs to know what you're up to with that person that's not your spouse? What do you need to change in order to live a more fully devoted life to Christ and the things of Christ? Man, here's the danger in what Jesus is saying. If you are living in constant, ongoing, unrepentant sin, you may think there is grace for this sin. And there certainly is. You may think because you have access to grace that you have received it. But if you are not marked by faith and repentance and sanctification, meaning if you are not marked by growth in Christ, if you look at grace as a license to do whatever you want, if you look at grace as a license to do whatever you want, whatever that may be, if this is you, you are on a dangerous path to destruction. There is certainly grace for your failures. But just because there is grace does not mean we won't all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, no matter what sin bent you have, whether it be something amoral or not, you know what I mean? Like the th There are things that you do that the world would look at and say, man, that is really messed up. And then there are other things that the world looks at and is like, man, that's, that's not that big of a deal. Regardless of what your sin bent is, all sin is a huge deal to God. All things contrary to the word of God are a big deal to God. It's such a big deal that he had to come and die. So here's what I'll say. Whatever takes you out of fellowship with Christ, whatever is leading you, it, whatever is not leading you towards Christ and is leading you away from Christ will ultimately lead to your destruction. Unrepentant sexual sin leads to destruction. Ambivalence towards Christ and the church also will lead to destruction. Man, think about this for a second. What if Christ were as committed to you as you were committed to him? What if Christ was as committed to you as you were committed to the things of him? 
what if Christ were as committed to you as you were committed to the church? What if, what if Jesus only cared about you when it was convenient for him? Some of you live like Jesus is an option. Some of you live like being committed to Christ 50% of the time is enough. Some of you show up to church like six times a year and then wonder why your life is a wreck. Some of you feel disconnected and lonely and aren't meaningfully connected to Christ and the body of Christ. And listen, when that is the rhythm of your life, if you claim to be a Christian and that is the rhythm of your life, you will be picked off and you will be picked apart by Satan. And Jesus is calling you to die to yourself. That means to commit to him and not your own selfishness. Listen, what if you got everything you wanted in this life? What if you're like walking in sin right now? What if you're walking in sin and you never get caught on this side of eternity? And then you die and go to hell as an unrepentant sinner. Is that a win? Emphatically, no, it is not. You may never have to endure embarrassment or shame or feelings of guilt on this side of eternity, but Jesus says it would be better for you to endure those things now in the context of a local church with people who will love you and hold you accountable than it would be to go to hell. So just so we're all on the same page, we need to understand what hell is. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament. One commentator says Jesus talks more about hell than he actually talks about heaven. So if it's important to Jesus, if it's important enough for Jesus to take seriously, we ought to as well. The Greek word that um, is used in the New Testament for hell is a combination of two Hebrew words. The Greek word is Gehenna. Uh, the word comes from the Hebrew word Gehinnom. Uh, in the Hebrew, it means the Valley of Hinnom. I know, mind-blowing, right? Uh, this place, there's actually a valley of Hinnom, is located south of Jerusalem. It was known for being a place that was always lit and not in the good way. It was like always on fire. Um, during the days of Ahaz or Manasseh and Second Kings, the People of the nation of Israel were having child sacrifices to this uh, fake god Moloch. And then a new king takes the throne, a good king, a God-fearing king, King Josiah. When he takes over the throne, he devoted the valley of Gehenna to destruction. It became a place where the city of Jerusalem would go and burn their garbage. So it was always on fire. Gehenna was, is described as a place of unquenchable fire, a place where the fire never goes out. So those that enter, enter into a place where they will be forever with no reprieve, and it is a fire that never ends. Jesus says this is a place of eternal judgment, eternal death, eternal destruction. The torment will be both external because of the fire and Jesus also says that there will be a worm that doesn't die. If you've ever had the unfortunate pleasure of being around like some food or something that's rotted, sometimes it's always, 
Sometimes it's always doesn't make sense. Sometimes it gets infested with nasty maggots. And this is what's being communicated here. There is unending rot and decay. The point isn't that there will always be a fire burning in hell, but that that's what awaits unrepentant sinners. Those whose faith is not in Christ for salvation. There is a torment awaiting the faithless and the wicked. Those in hell will always be objects of God's wrath and never God's love. And listen, we all deserve that. But for the cross of Christ and for the resurrection. Christ has bestowed upon us grace and mercy so that anyone whose faith is in Christ for the salvation of his or her soul will not have to perish in hell, but will have eternal life with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. And many people have a problem with a God that would send people to hell. But when you really understand the depths of your sin, what's amazing is not that people go to hell, but that anyone gets to go to heaven. Man, God has offered us love and grace and forgiveness through his death. And many still reject Jesus. Many still reject Christ. And for those, there is eternal punishment in the lake of fire. And picking up on this theme, Jesus says, we're going to finish out this, this chapter here, verse 49. It says, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Jesus says, Everyone will be salted with fire. So everyone, meaning everyone. But what does this even mean? I'm glad you asked. Everyone will be tested. For those who are not in Christ, we have established that this fire is for eternal punishment. For those who are in Christ, however, this is the refiner's fire. This is purification. All will be salted with fire in a manner consistent with your relationship with Jesus. For unbelievers, it will be perpetual fire of judgment. And for believers, it will be refining fires of trial and suffering that mark the road to true greatness. That mark the road that prove Christ's faithfulness through the perfecting of our faith. This fire will separate the faithful from the faithless. This fire will separate believers from unbelievers. And what's more, and this is good news, what's more? For the believer, it will destroy what is bad in your heart and bring out the good. Leading to what verse 50 is referring to. Salt. Salt is a a preserving agent. Salt prevents decay. Man, salt is good as long as it's serving its purpose. If it isn't, then it's worthless. St. Clair Ferguson says that in regards to these words of Jesus... Unless we maintain the purity of our own lives, like plucking out eyes, etc., and are purified by the flames of testing and remain faithful to Christ, our lives will have no preserving influence on this corrupt world. And let me tell you something about this purification process. Sometimes it hurts, man. 
Sometimes it's painful, but it is always necessary and it is always worth it. Man, Jesus says, be salty. Have salt within yourselves and Christians live peaceably with one another. So here's the point. This is a missional calling of Jesus to the disciples for the world. Salt that loses its saltiness. Um, salt that loses its saltiness is worthless. So to those who are trained in the knowledge of God and then set themselves against the calling of the Holy Spirit and become hardened in heart and hardened in their opposition, they're not renewed unto repentance. Meaning, no, they will not be saved. Meaning, yes, they will suffer for all eternity. Meaning, yes, they will be separated from Christ and his love. Look, that's scary, man. And that's hard to reckon with. But I will say this. We do serve a God who is just. We do serve a God who is also patient and pleased to deal gently with us. And his kindness leads people to repentance. So let that which is named salt, Christians, be salt indeed. Meaning, let those people who are Christians live like Christians are supposed to live. There are going to be people in your life, Christian, who have no knowledge of God. Even in our Bible Belt, God bless West Texas culture, there are going to be people that say they believe in God, but their lives look nothing like what God is calling them to. There will be people who never read their Bible, but who are constantly reading you because you claim to be a believer. If your conduct is untrue, if your lifestyle is contradictory to your calling, your words do not matter. It is useless for you to try to have spiritual influence over people in your life for their good unless you yourself have been changed by the grace of God, unless you yourself live like you have been changed by God's grace to you. If the word of God has not changed you, if you have not received faith through the Holy Spirit, the grace and goodness of God to you through Jesus, if you are not a disciple of Jesus, Man, the invitation for you is to repent and believe in God for salvation. To have salt within yourselves means that you have within yourself the qualities of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit that marks true discipleship. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Consider your life. Are you characteristically marked by these things? To have salt within yourself means to be salt to the world. To have salt within yourself means that your life honors Christ. Man, the continuation of this then is to stop bickering with other Christians if within the fellowship of Christ, if within the body of Christ, if all there is is grumbling and complaining with and against each other, how can those who call themselves Christians expect to win others to Christ? So here's how I want to close. If you were to stand before Jesus this afternoon and talk to him about how you've been living, 
what would that be like for you? Jesus, man, I was committed to my church and my group like 25% of the time. When I didn't have other obligations like kids' sports or familial obligations or vacations or work or sleep or school, Jesus, I didn't have a ton of time to read my Bible between all the stuff in my life and scrolling all of my social media feeds. Jesus, we're good though, right? Like I can marginally care about the things of you and expect you to fully care about me. Right? Stop being fake with Jesus. So many of you have so many blessings in your lives, good jobs, beautiful families, money, etc., and you have turned them into idols. And when you allow idols to exist in your life, they will destroy you. Look, some of you have been lulled to sleep spiritually by the enemy. Sometimes the enemy will come in like the book of Job Like, kick the door open, destroy everything all at once, make a big mess, and walk out. Other times, and in my observation, more commonly even, he causes you to gradually compromise in one area. Take your eyes and your affections off of Jesus. And you compromise in another area. And then another. And then another. And you look up and you haven't read your Bible in months. You haven't prayed in months. You haven't been to church in months. You're not walking in community with anybody. And you don't know how that happened. Here's how. You have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten what you've been saved from. And you have forgotten your identity in Christ. The answer is this. There is grace for you. There's so much grace for you. But you cannot know what you now know about your sin and the links that Christ went in order to save you and remain that ambivalent towards Jesus. I'm talking to you marginally committed Christians. Stop living like you are entitled to grace. Repent. Make some changes in your life. Figure out what is pulling you out of fellowship with Jesus and stop doing those things. Maybe you need to delete your social media and if you never read your Bible. Maybe you need to stop going out of town every weekend if it takes you away from church and community. Maybe your kid doesn't need to play select sports right now. Maybe you need to change jobs. I don't know. But Isaiah 7 says if you're not firm in your faith, you won't be firm at all. I'm talking to you, unbeliever. Christ loves you enough to die for you. Consider Jesus. Consider if the words of Jesus are true to you. Consider the cross and resurrection and ask yourself, if what Jesus is offering me, is it better than all of the sin and shame that I'm carrying around? Man, I'm talking to you, faithful Christian. May the cross of Christ move you towards deeper dependency and faith in him. Let's pray.